Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. He has played a love interest, a drug addict, and now he is going to be Henry V. Yes, we're here to talk all about Timothy Chalamet in Netflix's The King. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, movie fans. We are here today to talk about Netflix's The King. It is an epic movie, uh, two hours and 20 minutes long, and there is so much to talk about, including the incredible performances, uh, you know, not just the acting, but the directing, the cinematography, the criticism, the memes, because we have a lot of memes now. It's you! Um, It is the space between you! Thanks, Ryan, in the booth. Um, So, yeah, there is a lot going on in this movie, and it will be a spoiler-filled review, so if you haven't seen the movie already, go to Netflix right now, check it out, because we don't want to ruin it for you. There is a twist at the end, we're not going to talk about it yet, but this is going to be spoiler-rich, so exit out of this show, put us on pause, and then come back to us later after you've watched it. Um, But with that being said... I am your host, Mina Nadine, and to my left, we have Tara Erickson, who is an actress, a YouTuber, a comedian. Doing it. You do it all. I'm doing it all. (laughs) Trying my best. So, (laughs) I do want to start out with our overall thoughts of this movie. Uh, Is this a movie that you typically gravitate towards in terms of genre? What were you thinking before going into it? Um... I sometimes will go towards period pieces, but they really have to grab me right off the bat, like within the first 10 minutes. I felt a little like, oh, is this going to be slow? In the very, very beginning, like the first 10 minutes, I wasn't quite sure. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. And then uh, right after kind of like 15, 20 minutes, I was like, cool, I'm in. Um, There are phenomenal actors in this show, and Mm -hmm. so I tend to strive towards like, if there's good actors in it, give it a chance, and... uh, Boy, was I happy that I did. I agree with that. I feel like the performances were what stood out the most in this movie. Um, You know, this isn't the only rendition of Henry V, but in this specific rendition, the movie is about Hal, the wayward prince, and heir to the English throne, who is crowned Henry, King Henry V after his tyrannical father dies. Now the young king must navigate palace politics, the war his father left behind, and the emotional strings of his past life. So it's a little Game of Thronesy, not yeah. not really a fight for the throne, but more like, okay, what are we going to do now with the mess that's been inherited? And I feel like it kind of replicates our political system in the sense that 
whoever gets the presidency has to inherit whatever mess was left behind by the previous president, so on and so forth. So I feel like there are so many themes in this movie that are relevant to even today, which just shows that history repeats itself again and again. A hundred percent. And I call him the party boy prince, just an FYI. Uh, and it's crazy to see a party boy prince turn into a king. Yeah, yeah. We we start out at the beginning of the movie, and Timothy Chalamet is kind of like, yeah, it, it's almost like he's not drugged out, but he's obviously has been drinking. He uh, hangs out with the commoners, even though he's a prince. Uh, he's one with them, and he wants nothing to do with the throne because we find out later that obviously he heavily disagrees with everything that his father stands for, which is this idea of war and invading countries and look at what happens later in the movie. Um, What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the premise of the movie? Do you think it's a strong premise thematically? Um... Uh, they, I think that it is a strong premise because they set it up to where you don't realize that um, Party Boy Prince is going to actually have a viewpoint that a lot of people are going to agree with. That I think if, I don't know, 80% of us were king or queen, we'd probably also want peace, but a lot of us may not have the balls to actually uh, make that happen. Um, and he just seemed way too off the rails and hated his dad so much and hated power. He doesn't want the throne. But in the end, we tend to always see people who are like, I don't want it, that are going to be the best at taking it. Right. And owning it and making good things happen. Because we know that they don't have a vested interest in the power. It's not the power that they seek. It's the the peace or whatever. You you know, they they don't have ulterior motives the way these other people do. Um, But I feel like there was a lot of foreshadowing in the movie of what was to come, because even when Timothy Chalamet is speaking to Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline his sister she's like the same girl from jojo rabbit by the way let's give a shout out to her she does an incredible job even though it's a very short performance but she tells him she says uh be careful because you know there are people here that don't have your best interest at heart and people who want their their own thing this is the worst british accent i've ever done by the way it was pretty good (laughs) it was good but yeah there's some foreshadowing going on there did you expect the twist that we saw in the end no not at all not until he walked into the room and i was like oh yeah that guy um yeah no i did not see it coming at all in the beginning, though, it felt like there was a little bit of prodding where it's like, let's go to France, and there's a lot of talk, why would we go to France? And then someone, you know, gifts Timothy Chalamet a ball. Right. And we're like, why is he being gifted a ball? Is it really that insulting? Does it really mean that he's a child? Because you can extrapolate any meaning from anything, really. Right. So they twisted it into that. We we find out later, spoiler alert, that the ball wasn't gifted from the king of France. Right. So, um, or the Dauphin, however you say that Dauphine, word. Dauphin, yeah. Dauphin. Uh, so fancy. Not, <laughs> not like the common peasant English that right. we speak I believe right it's now. the Dauphin. 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 Thank you so much, Ryan. 
<laughs> Thanks, Ryan. I too saw this movie. I, I, I'm a big proponent, big fan. Yeah. What were your overall thoughts, Ryan? Oh, uh, well, again, I, I was. I'm a big fan of David Michaud, uh, the director, and. I didn't have an interest in actually seeing this film. I stumbled upon it with some friends, and I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. It was just so uh, visually beautiful, and there was a level of seriousness that at times I was like, is this going to hold up? Like, am I going to keep taking this as serious as the movie wants me to? And I think it earns the right to take it as serious as it's going for. Like, everyone in this movie is going for it. And that's one thing I really respected about it. Yeah, I I feel that way about Timothy Chalamet specifically. Like, he really, really went for it. And, you know, a lot of people have thought, oh, were the other movies just flukes that he's been in? You know, because he's one of the youngest actors to be nominated uh, and to for an, for an Oscar. And um, we've, we're finding out now that, no, he really is a very talented actor and he did a great job in this. Uh, what did you think of his character arc in the film from going from this lumbering around young boy to what we know as King Henry V? Yeah, I mean, I think that there was a big turn that happened after the uh, failed assassination that it was like, he was like, I want peace, I'm going to be a good king. And he did a 180 rather quickly from becoming this, like, party boy king who fell into it. It was like, I'm not going to do anything like they did back then. And then he gets an assassination attempt along with sending him a ball, uh, and that makes him angry. And then he just quickly is like, we're going to go to war. We're going to fight back. Um, But he was kind of pushed into a corner where I don't think that he had a choice. And when he did go to actually fight, I do think that he did the right thing. He didn't actually put his men into um, an extreme amount of danger and killing a lot of his men. He tried to do it the safe way whilst also kind of following the path that I think a lot of people surrounding him wanted to. Do you feel that any of his decisions were motivated by ego at all? Hmm. Um, Yes, because... I, you could see it in his performance that even just that ball and when he actually met with Pattinson, which is the French king who's obsessed with balls, um, (laughs) that it really ate him up inside the power that they had. It's like a string of like tension just between them. And, uh, you could just feel that, like, him assuming that, you know, Pattinson's character was the one who sent the ball, it really, well, I think, irked him the entire time from that day forward, um, which has ego of, like, I don't want people to see me as a boy anymore. I want them to see me as a man, which means you got to make some man moves. Yeah. So they got to be big and bold, and that's what he did. And we do see a bit of that, this idea of, oh, I'm not a boy, I'm a man, and I'm going to fight to prove it. And it's weird because we see that with his younger brother in the movie, who he's supposed to take over the throne because Timothy Chalamet's character is perceived as being incompetent and not fit or suitable for the throne. He's weak, he's fragile, he's frail. He's just not with the not with the king, really, not with his father. And we notice that he really cares about his brother. You know, he wants to save him. He d- he thinks fighting is pointless. And we see his his brother is so eager to fight, so eager to prove himself. And it's crazy that the people who are going to be running an entire country are these kids, essentially. And even when they become full-blown adults, like their father, you know, it's not like their father is any more mature. I mean, he's so intent on taking land and waging wars and 
you know, so quick to assume or maybe even lie that the people who don't come back are traitors and that they've gone to the other side. So he doesn't really care about his people, but we see that the the boys in the movie want to prove their manhood through fighting, but we see that Timothy Chalamet's character is not like that. But I feel like he kind of switches into that a little bit once his ego and his manhood become questioned. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's why Hal is a better fit than his little brother Thomas was. Is because Thomas was with his dad the entire time, meaning taught the ways and the path that his dad would take. Um, so uh, he would just follow, you know, henceforth of being like, we're going to go to war and we're going to do it the way that my dad did. So um, to switch it up with Hal is, I think, why, you know, King Henry will be remembered forever uh, versus if it was King Thomas. Mm. Right. (laughs) And the the other thing is that we don't see him completely disappear into the role of a king. We do for bits and pieces of it, but at the core, we still see a lot of these elements of, well, I still have my best friend here, you know, played by Joel Edgerton, and, you know, I'm still a man of the people. But it feels like he goes in and out of the two, you know? It feels like he wants to prove himself as a king. He wants to do the right thing. He also doesn't want his manhood being questioned, And he wants to be taken seriously by the very people who never respected him, who are now working for him. And he feels the sense of there is no one loyal here, Mm -hmm. except for Joel Edgerton, which he brings on to the team. You know, he recruits him, says, you know, I need you. You're loyal. You're my friend. And we see that love there and we see his interaction with his friend very different from his interaction with all of his other, you know, royal subjects. Um, Mm -hmm. We even see from the beginning of the movie that he doesn't even want to be called Your Highness in that intimate bedroom scene. So it's it's very confusing in the sense that I think there is this huge shift in his character where he wants nothing to do with the throne. Then it's kind of like Lord of the Rings. Like, once you have the ring and you're possessed by the ring, it's like, well, now you have to fulfill that role that you're meant to fulfill. So it feels like he's fulfilling this role And there's a push and pull between the person he was and the person he feels like he has to be, as well as the person he wants to be for his people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it takes really good writing and really good acting to have all of those dynamics at play, especially with such a young actor who is just killing it in this movie. Yeah. Um, what, What were the scenes that Timothy Chalamet acted in that stood out to you the most, where you were just like, wow, this is a performance? I mean... He had a really subdued performance throughout most of it until he went into his big speeches, um, which you're just like, whoa, man, he tapped into something there. But, um, I mean, he he's amazing, and I don't think that the other people surrounding him would have shined as much without Timothy's performance. But I was really taken back by Joel Edgerton more specifically, but I think it's just because he had amazing quotes. I mean, he says stuff, too, which I think the one win in regards to uh, King Henry in his flip to be like, oh, the choices I'm making in, in, in terms of going to war the way that I want to go to war. Um, Falsif said something uh, to him that said, nothing has, strained, has stained the soul so quickly is killing. Um, He went to Falstaff, who's Joel Edgerton's character, a lot um, for advice. And I think Falstaff always had 
He kept his mouth shut when he needed, but when he spoke up, it was like, oh, man, okay. So King Henry had someone next to him that I think really was just feeding into, like, you're not this guy that I know before you got this throne. You're this man. So try to remember that because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are going to be behind you saying, go forth and kill and conquer, and that's not going to be King Henry. It's not going to be Hal. Um, he really grounds him. He really, really does. And he had, like, just such amazing quotes. Like, also, I'm going to call getting, you know, buzzed, having a drink, a soak. Because that's what Falstaff <laughs> called it. And that is just, it's great. It's different. Um, going to get soaked later. I don't get soaked that much. But, you know what I mean? Different. Yeah. Uh, what, and What are some other ones? Um, you, he's never robbed. I've never robbed anyone who doesn't deserve to be robbed. I feel like any thief would be like, dude they deserved it so I'm like that's uh, true um, and then uh, let's see did well, I, I, I write down I wanted one to throw more? one out there yeah get, it, get I, at it you're kind of hinting at this but with Joel Edgerton's performance you know this is a unique movie in that the ensemble uh, contains a lot of big performances and I think it, it, it's interesting it kind of goes into these characters are attractive to someone like Shakespeare in that uh there's room for a lot of big performances because the characters are just so out there and um and uh and have a lot to offer so it's it's unusual in a lot of nowadays epics and sword and sandals movies where you get a lot of uh different characters that have these opportunities like usually like a braveheart you have one or two characters that you're really focusing on and it's their performances but with this movie i mean you got timothy chalamet robert pattinson joel edgerton jared harris like all giving these grandiose performances my one of my favorite scenes in the whole film was uh right after uh robert pattinson stops I think he found the, one of the kids from the English camp, and he gives him like a, a head, a chopped off head, and he makes him walk back to the camp. And you're like, mm. oh my god! And then it cuts to uh, Timothy Chalamet and Joel Edgerton in their uh, in their, one of their camps, and Timothy Chalamet's you know feel, filled with anger. Uh, King Henry's filled with anger, and he's his first instinct is you know all the prisoners we got, just like hang them, tie them up, torture them, execute them, and Joel Edgerton's character just brings him back to reality going like no that's not you uh this is just an anger response you can't respond with emotion here you have to respond with strategy and i thought that was such a fascinating scene because it speaks to just anyone in a place of power uh when when you are attacked are you going to respond with emotion or strategy and i thought that was amazing Right. Yeah. And, and I love, there were two things, two requests Timothy Chalamet made in that moment. Not only did he say, execute every single prisoner, but he also said, make sure that everyone stays awake for X amount of hours, and if they don't, gouge their eyes out. So I love that Joel Edgerton was like, yeah, I'll do the first one, but God forbid <laughs> we do the second one mm-hmm. <laughs> to the enemy. Yeah. So um, it's in a funny way, it's like choosing your battles, like, no pun intended. Literally, yeah, honestly, choosing your battles. But uh, yeah, tons of performances. I, I was really impressed in this movie because it was so it was so different from the director David Michaud's other work in that he's done these small little contained dramas 
and this was such an epic. Like I didn't expect to be as invested as in this as I was at the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like also Falstaff, um, he also quoted, I speak only when there's something to be said, meaning he does live in, uh, he's not going to make a decision based on anger, and he's not going to, like, talk hot-headed. So I think he everything that he says he really does truly live by, and I really like characters like that because they're hard to come by. Um, Yeah, and also, like, adding to that, his language isn't too flowery. I mean, I feel like he gets to the point, there's comedic timing, there's comic relief, and he, every, like, thing that he says needs to be said in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's like he really does only speak when it needs to be said, and I think that speaks to every time he speaks, there's a certain gravity to what he's saying. It's not filler conversation. It's not things that don't move the plot forward. Everything either helps move the plot forward, establishes his character arc even more, and develops the relationship between him and Timothy Chalamet's character. Mm-hmm. So that that was just good writing, I think, too. I agree. And he was one of the writers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, co-writer. Yes, he was. Yeah, Joel Edgerton and David, David Michaud. Who also directed it. Yeah, yeah, they wrote it together. Writing and acting in the same movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also, Brad Pitt produced this. I don't know if you know that, which yeah. I thought was cool. But David had also directed War Machine, which Brad Pitt was in. And then um, uh, The Rover also has Robert Pattinson, which also directed by David. So I feel like they're all in it together. They they're probably all, work together a right. lot. They're all interlinked a little. Yeah. I know... Uh, in his one of his bigger movies, American Animals, which has had a TV show spinoff from, but it's an Australian film. David did, and uh, that stars Ben Mendelsohn, who's also in this film. It had, and then that also has Joel Edgerton, who's in this film. So it's, I think, all these guys have worked together before, and they're friends. And it's, I think, this was a great culmination of all their talents because Joel Edgerton's been getting a little bit more into writing over the past few years, and I think he's done so many. He's had so many great performances from Warrior. He was even in a Star Wars movie, uh, and now he's getting into writing with um, like movies like The Gift and and I know he directed that one uh, and it, it just it's really awesome to see him now collaborating with David when it was just like maybe an actor director relationship now he's a co-writer mm-hmm. and there, it all just felt like this was a, a passion project by all these people together it didn't feel like this was just one person's project like I know we even uh, I love Amina opened the show with saying like oh this is Timothy Chalamet it's the new Timothy Chalamet movie it really it kind of felt like it was a bunch of people together in this film and as much as Timothy Chalamet's chewing the scenery he's, he crushes it in this movie it, it honestly the ensemble Robert Pattinson <laughs> like he's in it for maybe three scenes and it feels like he's in the whole movie yeah, yeah. Yeah, he really, that's the craziest thing. I remember hearing some buzz about Robert Pattinson, not just from different people, but also from Ryan specifically, and he came up to me last night, he's like, did you see, did you see the movie yet? Did you watch the Robert Pattinson scenes? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And he's like, okay, let me know what you think. So I thought that he was going to be in the movie for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I was watching the movie, and I'm like, am I watching the right movie? Because we're an hour in, and Robert Pattinson right. isn't in it. And then he comes into it, and I'm like, we got to talk about this. What did you Whoa. think? Okay. I don't, I just, I didn't know what to think because he's there and he's speaking in this like ridiculous French accent and it's simultaneously super entertaining because no one is really taking him seriously. But then at the same time, there is this very creepy aura about him where you're like, he cannot be messed with. You know, like we, I feel like when I was watching and I, I went back and forth with, is this character really powerful or is he all talk? 
or is he a joke? You know, because the way that everyone else was reacting to him in the movie was, you know, Joel Edgerton's character is yawning in the middle of his threatening speech, and then it pans to, like, Robert Pattinson's look of disgust, and then him looking at Timothy Chalamet and saying, did you understand what I said? And Timothy Chalamet just saying, yes, you know, and then walking away. So we don't know what's going to happen, and then later on we see the progression of his character, and what what did you think about it, Tara? So I think in a lot of Shakespeare stuff, there's always a clown or a jester. That's exactly what Robert Pattinson's character was to me. Um, uh, the way that they set up, sure, he has strong speeches, but, like, uh, they don't really hit home for a lot of them. I think that he has an army behind them. Do they actually respect him? Probably not. I think the first time that he's ever went out to battle um, was the time when he was like, all of my men are dying, and so now I'm going to take up and fight one-on-one with King Henry because he asked me. Um, And so I think in in leading up to it, there's a lot of stuff in regards to the responses to Pattinson's character is all setting him up to be a little bit of a jester, meaning like it's okay if you laugh at him and his character because he's making a lot of big choices that I think at first you might be like, what's happening here? And then you're like, Oh, okay. This choice, it works. Okay, so it works the choice works. Nice. As it got into it, in the very beginning, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, it's it's a large choice that the further it goes on, it makes sense, especially within the story when you think about it from a jester or a clown format. I didn't think he went that big, but you get my you get the gist. I thought he really went for it in this movie. Uh, I was totally caught off guard. And like you said, I heard he was in the movie an hour in. He hasn't popped up. And Mm -hmm. then his introduction, I was really like kind of looking around like, okay, am I buying this? Is this... Is this selling? Like, do I like this voice? And when the scene ends, I was left liking it. I didn't know if it was good or not, but I liked it. And... I also was kind of creeped out by it. So yeah. I know it's interesting that you found him more as like a jester uh, comedic part because I did find it funny, but I also found it kind of horrifying. Like he he's definitely a little off. It's not just the accent. He's doing a full-on voice. Right. He's doing he's really going for it with every all of his vocal uh, choices there. And I was really put off by it, but also incredibly fascinated by it. And I w- found myself looking forward to his next scene. And just his back and forth, like you said, that, that scene that Mina was just talking about. Mm-hmm. It's between him, Timothy, and Joel Edgerton. It's dynamite. I could watch that for hours. Yeah. I felt like there was a certain Joker-like quality to it, in the sense of Joaquin Phoenix's new Joker, where there is a darkness to it. And there's also this certain trickster figure Mm. where I didn't interpret it as intentionally funny, but as someone much like Loki, you know, in in the Thor franchise, where he's not good, he's not bad. Mm -hmm. You know, Joker isn't necessarily good or bad, but he does bad things, but we know that he struggles with mental illness. Robert Pattinson's character, is he really good or bad when we know at the end that he's the one who, for whatever reason has his entire country threatened because of something that he never even did that that Timothy Chalamet thinks that he did. There was no assassin, you know? So when we see it from a different lens, we're like, you know, Robert Pattinson was kind of entitled to act the way he did because he's 
the one who's being pressured here. He's not the one who's on the offense. He's on the defense, but we see him as on the offense. The entire movie, we see that he's on the offense, but then we find out that he was really on the defense. And to see that, you know, he did something as vile as having a child hold the decapitated head of another person and bring it back to the king, we're like, wow, that's vile. But it's like, it's also vile and horrible and horrific to invade an entire country kill the women and the children and hold people hostage and try to get more land and, you know, get rid of the the French language, essentially having them all become part of England. And now it's like I understand Robert Pattinson's perspective. So when he has the creepy performance, I feel like everything that he does, including the humor, including um, his weakness that we see at the end, I feel like everything is justified and everything makes sense in terms of the character development. When he see that, when we when we see, for example, that he doesn't even lose by Timothy Chalamet's sword, but from his own accord, mm-hmm. we're like, wow, this was already a weak character to begin with, both physically and psychologically. He was never a strong king. I thought that right. was so funny. Yeah, yeah. I so that's and where that, that times. that clown or jester part comes in. Whereas the speeches before can be seen as more fascinating. But you're getting into the character of like eventually there is going to be a punchline for him, and that was it. It was his death. It's a great point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and everything about that final uh, death scene. I don't know if you guys or if y'all were planning on talking about any of the uh, the production development, but that final battle. Oh, it is was insane! Amazing. Just from a pure filmmaking standpoint, everything about that, so detailed. There's so many elements at play. And what's so fascinating about this is the night before, and this is something that most movies cut away from. It's usually like, I have a plan. Cut to executing the plan. And we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I found it so unique that we have to actually hear the plan of, if it rains tonight, it's going to be muddy tomorrow. Let's draw them in with a few people wearing armor and then we'll hide in the woods, have no armor on so we can move better and then carry that out. And it, I Usually that's a little boring in a film. Like any spy movie, Mission Impossible, whatever, they don't tell you the plan beforehand. You just watch them executing it and then it's a reveal. But knowing what the plan was going in and then watching them kind of pull it off, I found it to be so entertaining and I was really surprised by that. What did you think of that? I, I think that's an amazing point because I also think that usually when there is a plan in a movie that's being articulated, the only reason it's articulated is to show that things don't go according to plan and that the plan is useless. But in this case, which is a very rare case, not only do they state the plan, but they execute it with perfection. So I don't think it ruins it at all because we're trying to see how is this possibly going to play out. Like, I've never heard of someone just taking off their armor because that is such a bold choice. Because, yes, it does make you faster, but at the same time, you don't have that invincibility that... the near invincibility that you would have with the armor. Mm -hmm. But then we find out the armor is what makes you not invincible. The armor is what holds you back, and taking it off and becoming unleashed from that armor is how you can actually have the have the advantage on the battleground. So I thought it was amazing that the person who comes up with the plan is the best friend of the king, the one that nobody anticipates being the strategic masterminds. He's just a commoner. He's not yeah, part no. of the royal palace, you know. He was a hero with a plan. Right. A hundred percent. That's who Falstaff is. The the shot, the one take of Timothy Chalamet going in and just basically kniving people mm-hmm. and not cutting 
was jaw dropping. And I, in a world where you know Game of Thrones has these incredible battle sequences, that uh, you know Battle of the Bastards was absolutely incredible. This I think was clearly influenced by that, especially that shot with a, a false staff where he's just suffocating. Like, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. those battle sequences and how when you're in that pileup, people are probably not even dying from getting impaled. You're dying from the suffocation. And I think that's what the asphyxiation. And that was almost more horrifying than the actual danger of the enemy itself. Just being totally consumed by metal, everything around you. And that's what came to your death. Like, that's horrifying to me. And the details just making you feel so claustrophobic in that battle sequence was harrowing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it takes a lot of dedication in production design to do a long shot in regards to battle. A lot of battle scenes are very quick. Let's do a lot of cutaways to the horse, to a guy falling off, to people dying. Um, But I do agree with you that I think that one of the most intriguing scenes was to see um, how is King Henry actually going to go in and fight, and is he going to be good at it? Uh, Because the fights that we've seen him before, I'm like, "Ah, I guess he, I think he got lucky. Um, But then you're like, oh no, he didn't. He does kind of actually know what he's doing. I don't think he would have succeeded if it wasn't for Falstaff saying you got to go in without armor. Um, but it was a very interesting scene to watch. The fact that they you have to go through a lot of rehearsal to do that, and you're working in mud and weapons, and you have stunts at the same time to not cut away from that, which is a great point, is a huge production value. Also, to use those huge wooden cannonball things, and they <laughs> use a shot for five seconds. That was not like a FX in. That was a real thing yeah. that takes a lot of money and time. Right. So it's it's crazy how much money is behind this movie and how I guess as of now little people are talking about it. What it's about, a little weird to what me. What about the costume designer, Tara? Yeah, um, Jane Petrie. So she does a lot of Netflix period projects. So she does The Crown, which is going to drop in like next week, which I am obsessed with. Mm-hmm. That show is so good. And the costumes on the show are amazing. And she also did Outlaw King. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, specifically, the costuming did play a lot. In, uh, it played a lot in the final battle. Um, in regards to like taking you know armor off, but also you could see you know when he's there and he's surrounded by his court, um, just the costuming really sets you in that place specifically. I really feel that way with the crown. The second that I started watching that show, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, we're actually here. And she did the same thing with this movie and really throwing you into it. And you're like, that is totally what they wore. Like mm-hmm. I don't for some reason you can just feel it even though I didn't pay attention in history class but when I watched this I was like this is probably a hundred percent to the point of like how the wardrobe looked I I love listening to other perspectives when it comes to costume design production and I was listening to a podcast about this actually and they were saying you know they were talking about Oscar buzz and they were saying that one of their biggest problems um, or what they anticipated for Oscar season was that this wouldn't get nominated for costume design. The reason they said that was because usually when a movie, especially a period piece, gets nominated for costume design, it's because when it's set in this century or in this period, there are a lot of like huge dresses and there's a lot of, you know, lavish design with not just the men but the women as well. But this was a movie that really lacked a lot of female presence. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really see a lot of females in the movie. We see like his sister, um, Timothy Chalamet's sister. We see uh, the girl in that one bedroom scene at the very beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then we see the owner of the tavern uh, who sells the alcohol. 
Um, but other than that, we and then really, his wife at the end, and yeah, that's it. Which I actually very thought simple. was a strong character, mm-hmm. um, the the French wife, and I just felt like we didn't see a lot of women. The men were really highlighted in this movie, and I think it was to show like this idea of men ruling the world and doing these crazy things for power, and just the type of like deceit and treachery that goes on. Uh, not just then, but even today. I mean, this is this common recurring theme of, okay, we're being given misinformation, we're invading a country on the grounds of misinformation, and it's changing the trajectory of history as we know it. This happens all the time, and it's crazy that it still happens because of people who have ulterior motives and desire power, and that was literally what was foreshadowed by the by the sister. And it's funny that the women, even though they're not in the movie, they have some very valuable lines, much like when Joel Edgerton says, I don't speak, but when I do, it matters. Mm-hmm. When the women speak, it matters. 100%. She said, I will not succumb to your wishes. Like, you have to earn my respect first. Um, so to hear that from a girl who is being married off to a king... Um, more so than not, we see the women sort of succumb of like, I'm just lucky to be marrying you. And that is not how she felt. So she gave him the cold, hard truth. Um, and I think they wrote her character, even though it was short and it was at the end, um, with a really strong point of view that mm-hmm. you like her right off the bat. And you're like, okay, cool. Maybe also the reason why King Henry will be remembered forever is because he was married off to a woman who I think think will also in the same regard be like it worked because of the woman who stood beside him if that was actually a conversation always speak true and clear to me and that's all I ask of you because that's exactly what she did which can be damaging you kind of have to have uh, a little bit of a wall up to take it and then just be like oh it's it's the truth though and so I think I don't think that King Henry would have succeeded as well in whatever future endeavors if he didn't have someone like her by his side because that's mm-hmm. what Falstaff did and he died yeah. It's it's also so interesting that we figure out the truth through the supposed enemy, mm-hmm. you know? Without her, Timothy Chalamet's character would have never known everything that happened. So let's talk about this huge twist that happens in the movie. Uh, this is full spoiler territory. This whole thing has been spoiler territory, but now especially we're talking about the final twist when... Jared Harris. Yes, you know, Jared Harris, you know, we we realized, wow, he was the mastermind behind this entire thing. This guy? Are you serious? And we're just like, wow. Wow, I don't what was your reaction to that that final scene where, you know, there's this epiphany that that reaches fucking Sharon This epiphany where he's like, Wait, there was no ball? There there was no you know, assassin, and then he s- opens up this line of question. And when I say him, Timothy Chalamet opens up the line of question to Jared Harris's character. Um, what what were the thoughts going through your head at this moment? I just thought, oh wow, I get it. He could never have done that with his dad, King Henry the Fourth. King Henry the Fifth is new, still party boy I got, prince I, a little I apologize. bit. Sorry, I, oh, I, I gave you the wrong name. It's Sean Harris. So oh, sorry Sean Harris. Okay. Well, and yeah, William. I, yeah. I didn't have it. Character of William. It's so sorry about that. Yeah, Sean Harris. William. Sean Harris. Yeah. Um, that I was like, oh yeah. 
uh, now would be the perfect time when Party Boy Prince is trying to get his feet wet into King Land um, to figure out a way to make your life bigger and better um, without him knowing it, because right now he's distracted by a lot of things. Um, it's sort of like showing a kid, like, hey, look at this shiny thing, and I think uh, Sean Harris's character was fully aware that King Henry would look at the cool, shiny thing, because he's not really developed enough mm-hmm. to, I, I don't know, see that there may be people behind him that may not have his best interests at heart. Right. He manipulated that entire situation with the the king's lack of experience. Mm-hmm. He's this new prince who has become king. He's like the Simba of the king of this of this Netflix movie, and he's just trying to like navigate this new world and figure out what he wants and how he's going to accomplish this. And the fact that William says peace can only be achieved through huge victories like this is just Mm mind-boggling. You know, we have to just destroy and pillage and and have this giant war and then peace will be achieved. And it's just, not to tie it to politics every single time, but that's the first thing that came to mind when he said that because every time, you know, the U.S. invades another country, for example, when the U.S. invaded Iraq on grounds of weapons of mass destruction, which we found out later there were no WMDs and we started this entire war, then we go in to save the Iraqi people and to bring peace by toppling a dictator... But it's just mind-blowing to say, oh, because we had this huge victory in Iraq by toppling a dictator, now there can be peace. That's crazy. It's like we started this entire mess, and now we're saying there can be peace now. And I feel like that's the mentality of, it's definitely the men- yeah. of an oppressor, you know, to go into a country, you try to get more land, you start a war, and you're like, well, now there's peace because... You know, at, at least, like, in any war, like, oh, now at least we've converted them all to Christians, and, you know, now, now, now it, they it's, can learn our religion. You know, that happens all the time. I definitely think, and this movie did such a great job of showing how it's been going on for centuries, you know, right. for hundreds of years. And that's what was just so incredible about this. It was really relatable. I think that's a problem a lot of a lot of period pieces have when it comes to the language, when it comes to the circumstances. And this film highlighted a lot of elements that, that were in the, this battle, were in this, uh, this, this congruence. And I think it, it was so... You can totally relate it to any part of history, not just like U.S. involvement, but other countries. It's, these are war elements that have been going on for all of time. And I, I'm just so blown away by how relatable this film can be to those topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how a war built on lies can go so far, because there is a certain point where King Henry says, um, kill them all in regards to the prisoners that are left over. So he has become uh, a man who's, you know, it's built on lies, but we don't find out till the end, that really it could have gone from King Henry taking the throne to being like, I want peace, let's go talk to your dad over here, and let's figure it out. And I think that his dad would probably have had at least the conversation. I realize he may have always had to go through Robert Pattinson's character first. (laughs) Um, But I think without the setup of the fake assassination in the ball that his little boyhood wouldn't have been played with as much to make him so angry um, to reach a point where he is just like, kill them all, right? Uh, We could have just fast-forwarded and gotten... um, I don't know, just gained peace without all of the other stuff. But um, when you fight on a 
in in regards to when you're angry or in regards to when it's built on like a bunch of lies it's makes for just a much sadder ending because you're like we could have avoided a lot and still probably ended up in the same place the whole movie would have never been made exactly (laughs) and i mean we would have lost a cool great story but um i and maybe king henry wouldn't have grown into a man as much if he didn't have to fight a war yeah I wanted to pose a question to y'all, that uh, something Mina was alluding to earlier, <laughs> in that, uh, you know, it, this movie's kind of flying under the radar, and you were reading an article saying it probably won't get nominated for any Oscars. I think that this film is so deserving of a nomination in so many categories, especially technical. Yeah. Uh, do you think it will get any nomination in in any categories, and which ones? I didn't say that people were saying it's not going to get any Oscars. They were saying that for costume design it won't, but people were assuming that, you know, for film score with Nicholas Brattel, you know, composing the film score, that it might get a nomination for that. Maybe production. um, Production design. Maybe acting, you know, Timothy Chalamet. Um, Who knows, like, what else it might win. It's, you know, last year we had Roma, I don't think it's crazy to assume that a Netflix movie can garner Oscar buzz or Oscar interest, and I feel like now we've kind of like moved in this weird tech space where it's considered just as worthy as a theatrical release. But, yeah, I mean, now Scorsese's got a Netflix film coming out. Yeah, The Irishman. So it, I think that the people are now taking them a lot more serious, and like you said, Roma last year. Uh, do, you, do you, which actor do you think has the best chance from this film of getting nominated? I feel like definitely Timothy Chalamet is a favorite. I mean, the Academy loves him. I mean, how many times has he been nominated? And he's been in some great films. Um, I think well, we know that he was call nominated once. Call me by your name, but he was also in another film with Steve Carell where he plays a drug addict. Right. The name is slipping me, slipping uh, my memory right now. I don't know if he was nominated, but it definitely received some critical yeah. acclaim there. That film flew under the radar last year, uh, but I, I t- he's been in so many great films. He was, he was in a bunch of Best Picture nominees, like Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's definitely had an amazing career so far. I, I think he this performance would garner him a nomination. And it's funny, because I also think Robert Pattinson is such a unique performance <laughs> in this movie. I would I, I would love to see him get nominated. He's having a quite interesting year with the Lighthouse as well, and everyone's keeping a watchful eye on him because he's going to be the next Batman. So, and he's separating himself even more and more from Twilight. So, I think it was great to see that. I I really do think Joel Edgerton could get uh, some consideration for this film, um, but the biggest thing for me would be hands down the production design. I, I really, it's just so detailed, methodical. You can tell how much time was put into this film and how much research was done and that that's just not every movie you get right. and I think you know a few years ago Outlaw King was a uh, a film that took place in a similar time period to this movie it was also a Netflix film and everyone really kind of forgot about it just kind of came and went Chris Pine no one really paid attention to it I think this movie should be a different story I think this one garners a lot of awards recognition yeah I agree. I mean, I love Joel Edgerton a lot in this. Timothy, I mean, it's like, yeah, sure, everybody's going to say that. I think that maybe that went my coffee. I'm going to be able to talk 
Just the same without it, you guys. Um, that Dave Michaud and Joel Edgerton wrote a really great script that I think is intriguing for people if they don't like period pieces, that they'll still be able to understand what's going on and without getting like, oh, it's too fluffy of a language and I don't like it. It's not written that way. Um, it, it still does call back to like a little bit of Shakespeare, but not full force, which um, I think if they make more period pieces in uh, like this and write it this way, I think they would get more people on board. I do want to also talk a little bit about formatting with this being a made-for-Netflix movie and not having the theatrical release. Do you think that this hurts it in any sort of way? Um... No, I feel like there are a lot of people out there. We live in L.A. I like to go to the movie theaters. One time, when I was 18 to 19, I went into $3,500 worth of debt going to the movies no, every day in the stop. afternoon at Arclight Cinemas here in Hollywood because I love that theater. It's my second home. Um, the rest of maybe the world would prefer, and me a lot of the times too, prefer to just like, I don't want to spend, every time you go out to the movies, you spend at least like 30 bucks if you're going to get drinks and snacks, because they're pricey. Mm-hmm. So I feel like people living in the in the comfortability of their homes, being able to also watch a really great, like award-worthy movie, mm-hmm. but also not be like, oh, people were talking about that four months ago, and now it's old news. They can be part of the conversation. So now you're getting millions of people all at the same time being like, kind of like what happened with Stranger Things. I mean, they haven't dropped movies in the same way that people are binge uh, binge watching, you know, um, TV shows. Now it's going to be sort of everyone watching, specifically The Irishman, for sure, the second it drops. Hopefully Netflix doesn't crash. They haven't had a history in that in a few years. But I know that happened one time. With Stranger Things, I think season two. Too many people are watching it. But nonetheless, I think um, it's not a problem. Uh, it's a little weird um, that less movies are going into the theater, but also people are a little bit more comfortable at home, and they can still join, like I said, the conversation, and everyone can be watching it at the same time, which helps, I think, movies in regards to social media and everyone being like, oh, I can join this combo because I've seen that movie because right. it's available to them on their own tv which is great um but yeah i hope people don't stop going to the movie theater because of it i do still hope they have theatrical releases like the irishman is doing um i think it's already out here i'm not sure if not it's going to be in a couple days and then pop up on netflix but i am going to try to go see it in the theater I think, yeah, I think a theatrical release is really important for something like this because even though we understand the story and we got a lot of that from watching it on Netflix, I do feel like a lot of the production design and the cinematography is lost, including even the music, because when you're sitting in the comfort of your bed, it's very different from just being like in a movie theater with Dolby sound or with really rich sound where you can hear that musical score like in the way that it's meant to be heard or you can see you know the visuals the way it's meant to be seen I went back and forth between watching it on a laptop and on my phone and even watching it on my phone I'm like I'm not enjoying these like war scenes so then I would switch to my laptop and I'm like I enjoy it more but this would be so much better in a theater and I feel like so much is lost but the only thing that's not lost is the story but I feel like even the performances become better watching it on a big screen versus watching it on your laptop or on your television at home and I think it kind of does 
an injustice to the movie and to the filmmakers in a weird way. I mean, yes, you have the accessibility that you mentioned, which I think is amazing, but you lose a lot of the other stuff. And I think at the same time, you also, for me personally, I lost a little bit of focus and concentration because you have the luxury of Mm -hmm. pausing it, rewinding it. And I feel like a movie is meant to be seen in a format where you don't have that luxury so that you stay completely glued to the screen and focused. And I think that's very hard when you put something on Netflix. And I think it kind of ruins it just a little bit. I think it's very hard to do, especially if it's two hours and 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. People are going to be like, I don't want to be in a theater that long or I'm going to have to pee. And so people really avoid that of like, how long is it? If it's an hour and a half, I can handle it. Um, So I agree with you that... um, I think that things should still be experienced in the theater because it's a way... There are small things that you're completely missing. And even when people watch it, let's say you have a 4K TV that's giant. Um, When you watch a certain movie on a TV, there are a lot of settings that make it very crystal clear and the brilliance and the clarity. And it's not actually supposed to be viewed like that. There is an actual article, you can read it, that directors and people have put up that don't let your device go with its original settings. If you want to see the film in the way that it was shot and the way that we want you to see it, change your settings to this. Um, And a lot of people I don't think do that. So you are kind of missing out on the way that I think it's supposed to be viewed. But hopefully you fix your TV to be close enough and maybe get a little bit of surround sound and uh, I don't yeah. know, you might be alright. Just create your own home theater system. 100%. <laughs> uh, so before we finish off this show, I want to quickly say that in terms of ratings, this received a 71% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 62% on Metacritic. Uh, I want to see if you have any criticism of the movie, uh, anything that you feel could have been enhanced, uh, elevated, and then we'll have a couple closing statements as well. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like maybe they could have started out with... Um, I felt this when I was watching the scene between... Um, uh, King Henry and the French King obsessed with balls, which is Pattinson. I felt like just such a tension there uh, that I really loved it. And then also the scene where um, he makes Timothy step back and he goes to to fight a guy on his own, King Henry. I don't know. I was like, oh, why didn't they start in the middle of action? I always love that when shows do that. And I don't know if this movie would have caught people's attention a little bit quicker, maybe have more views if they maybe started out just quicker with a a larger thing and then still got to the story after it. Mm -hmm. I think it could have gotten by with two hours. Yeah. Um, I I still think it's a really great movie, but I always think in terms of people gaining their attention, and when they look at two hours and 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. like, people have said that to me. They're like, it's two hours, and I'm like, I know how long it is. It's a movie. Yeah, I feel like the extra 20 minutes is which makes, like, it's so crazy that 20 minutes can make that difference. Yes. But I'm like, that extra 20 minutes is, like, really 20, like, if you're going to do that, I would recommend at least doing like three hours or four hours, but making it a mini-series, kind of like Game of Thrones, having it be episodic as opposed to something that you watch in its entirety because I feel like you need the theatrical experience for that. Um, but yeah, you do have the, the luxury of fast-forwarding or winding for the, for scenes you, or you don't enjoy, but I do think that takes away from the movie. Um, I do want to end with some closing thoughts here before we leave you guys. I thought overall it was a great movie. It's not necessarily my cup of tea because I'm not the biggest fan of period pieces unless there's a twist. 
So unless there's something very comedic about it or it's told in a different way or, for example, Jojo Rabbit being like this super hipster film about World War II, but then it's through the eyes of a child, it has to have some sort of, you know, kicker to it or like some sort of gimmick. I don't like to use the word gimmick, but something that makes it captivating because I feel like there are so many war movies, so many period pieces that when I watch this movie... I care little about the story, but I care about the performances. So for me, when I was watching it, I was like, I'm just really enjoying watching Timothy Chalamet because these themes of gaining the throne or deceit or treachery, this has been played out in so many different circumstances, so many different movies, so many different contexts. I'm not the biggest fan of the genre, but for the for what it is, I thought they did a great job. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it will stand out in my mind as one of the best period pieces I've seen because there are so many other movies that I can refer to. I agree. And also Apple TV, they are having a twist with Haley Steinfeld. She's in a new Apple TV show based on Emily Dickinson, um, The Poet. I forget the name of it. Um, I watched like part, part of the first episode. That does have a comedic twist to it, so if you're into a period piece but you don't want it to really be a period piece, that's a show for you that just dropped with Haley, Ste- Haley Steinfeld. Apple TV. Yes. And Ryan, any closing thoughts before we leave? Closing thoughts, uh, I'll say this. I'll say that I think this movie totally blew away my expectations. Like I said, I didn't have an interest in seeing it. I'm really glad I did watch it. I wish it had a more theatrical release because I think that would get this movie, garner this movie more attention. Um, I do think it was a little too long. I think you could shave 20 minutes. I didn't have a problem with the last 20 minutes. I had some problems with uh, the first hour. I think they could have made it a little more concise because it really, really picks up speed, hits its stride an hour in. And from there on out, I was locked, completely locked in. So, yeah, I think this movie could have been a little shorter. And other than that, I'm just kind of bummed that not, not that many people are seeing it. So go out and see The King. <laughs> That's a, that's a great uh, that's a great sponsorship right there. Um, yeah, thank you everyone for joining us here today on Popcorn Talk. We have a blast talking about movies. It's been such a pleasure talking to Tara. This is my first time doing Anatomy of a Movie with you. We're doing it. Where can the great people of the movieverse find you? Yes, you guys. You guys can find me Instagram at Tara Erickson or on YouTube especially. That's T-A-R-A-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N and IMDb. And Ryan, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Ryan Nilsen on Twitter, at R-Y-N-I-L-S-E-N. And you all can find me at Mina Makes Magic on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, slide into my DMs, talk about movies. Uh, just use the DMs for that purpose, please. And we'll be here next week with you guys talking about a brand new movie. So tune in with us. Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Let's draw them in with a few people wearing armor, and then we'll hide in the woods, have no armor on so we can move better, and then carry that out and it, i usually that's a little boring in a film like any spy movie mission impossible whatever they don't tell you the plan beforehand you just watch them executing it and then it's a reveal but 
knowing what the plan was going in and then watching them kind of pull it off, I found it to be so entertaining. And I was really surprised by that. What did you think of that? I, I think that's an amazing point because I also think that usually when there is a plan in a movie that's being articulated, the only reason it's articulated is to show that things don't go according to plan and that the plan is useless. But in this case, which is a very rare case, not only do they state the plan, but they execute it with perfection. So I don't think it ruins it at all because we're trying to see how is this possibly going to play out. Like, I've never heard of someone just taking off their armor because that is such a bold choice. Because, yes, it does make you faster, but at the same time, you don't have that invincibility that the near invincibility that you would have with the armor. Mm -hmm. But then we find out the armor is what makes you not invincible. The armor is what holds you back, and taking it off and becoming unleashed from that armor is how you can actually have the have the advantage on the battleground. So I thought it was amazing that the person who comes up with the plan is the best friend of the king, the one that nobody anticipates being the strategic masterminds. He's just a commoner. He's not yeah, part no. of the royal palace, you know. He was a hero with a plan. Right. A hundred percent. That's who Falstaff is. The the shot, the one take of Timothy Chalamet going in and just basically kniving people mm-hmm. and not cutting was jaw-dropping. And I, in a world where, you know, Game of Thrones has these incredible battle sequences that, uh, you know, Battle of the Bastards was absolutely incredible. This, I think, was clearly influenced by that, especially that shot with a, a Falstaff where he's just suffocating. Like, can you imagine... Mm-hmm. those battle sequences and how when you're in that pileup, people are probably not even dying from getting impaled. You're dying from the suffocation. And I think that's what the asphyxiation. And that was almost more horrifying than the actual danger of the enemy itself. Just being totally consumed by metal, everything around you. And that's what came to your death. Like, that's horrifying to me. And the details just making you feel so claustrophobic in that battle sequence was harrowing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, it takes a lot of dedication in production design to do a long shot in regards to battle. A lot of battle scenes are very quick. Let's do a lot of cutaways to the horse, to a guy falling off, to people dying. Um, but I do agree with you that I think that one of the most intriguing scenes was to see um, how is King Henry actually going to go in and fight, and is he going to be good at it? Because uh, the fights that we've seen him before, I'm like, ah, I guess he, th- I think he got lucky. Um, but then you're like, oh no, he didn't. He does kind of actually know what he's doing. I don't think he would have succeeded if it wasn't for Falstaff saying you got to go in without armor. Um, but it was a very interesting scene to watch. The fact that they you have to go through a lot of rehearsal to do that and you're working in mud and weapons and you have stunts at the same time to not cut away from that, which is a, a great point, is a huge production value. Also to use those huge wooden cannonball things and they <laughs> use a shot for five seconds, that was not like a FX in. That was a real thing. Yeah. That takes a lot of money and time. Right. So it's it's crazy how much money is behind this movie and how I guess as of now little people are talking about it. What it's about, a little weird to what me. What about the costume designer, Tara? Yeah, um, Jane Petrie. So she does a lot of Netflix period projects. So she does The Crown, which is going to drop in like next week, which I am obsessed with. Mm-hmm. That show is so good. And the costumes on the show are amazing. And she also did Outlocking. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, specifically, the costuming did play a lot. In, uh, it played a lot in the final battle. 
um, in regards to like taking you know armor off. But also you could see you know when he's there and he's surrounded by his court, um, just the costuming really sets you in that place specifically. I really feel that way with the crown. The second that I started watching that show, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, we're actually here. And she did the same thing with this movie and really throwing you into it. And you're like, that is totally what they wore. Like mm-hmm. I don't for some reason you can just feel it, even though I didn't pay attention in history class. But when I watched this, I was like, this is probably a hundred percent to the point of like right. how the wardrobe looked. I, I love listening to other perspectives when it comes to costume design, production. And I was listening to a podcast about this actually, and they were saying, you know, they were talking about Oscar Buzz. And they were saying that one of their biggest problems, um, or what they anticipated for Oscar season, was that this wouldn't get nominated for costume design. And the reason they said that was because usually when a movie, especially a period piece, gets nominated for costume design, it's because when it's set in this century or in this period, there are a lot of like huge dresses and there's a lot of you know lavish design with not just the men but the women as well but this was a movie that really lacked a lot of female presence Mm -hmm. you know we don't really see a lot of females in the movie we see like his sister um to timothy jalmy's sister we see uh the girl in that one bedroom scene at the very beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. and then we see the owner of the tavern uh who sells the alcohol um, but other than that, we and then really, his wife at the end, yeah, and that's it. Which I actually but very thought simple. was a strong character, mm-hmm. um, the the French wife, and I just felt like we didn't see a lot of women. The men were really highlighted in this movie, and I think it was to show like this idea of men ruling the world and doing these crazy things for power, and just the type of like deceit and treachery that goes on. Uh, not just then, but even today. I mean, this is this common recurring theme of, okay, we're being given misinformation, we're invading a country on the grounds of misinformation, and it's changing the trajectory of history as we know it. This happens all the time, and it's crazy that it still happens because of people who have ulterior motives and desire power, and that was literally what was foreshadowed by the by the sister. And it's funny that the women, even though they're not in the movie, they have some very valuable lines, much like when Joel Edgerton says, I don't speak, but when I do, it matters. Mm-hmm. When the women speak, it matters. 100%. She said, I will not succumb to your wishes. Like, you have to earn my respect first. Um, so to hear that from a girl who is being married off to a king... Um, more so than not, we see the women sort of succumb of like, I'm just lucky to be marrying you. And that is not how she felt. So she gave him the cold, hard truth. Um, and I think they wrote her character, even though it was short and it was at the end, um, with a really strong point of view that mm-hmm. you like her right off the bat. And you're like, okay, cool. Maybe also the reason why King Henry will be remembered forever is because he was married off to a woman who I think think will also in the same regard be like it worked because of the woman who stood beside him if that was actually a conversation always speak true and clear to me and that's all i ask of you because that's exactly what she did which can be damaging you kind of have to have uh, a little bit of a wall up to take it and then just be like oh it's it's the truth though and so i think i don't think that king henry would have succeeded as well in whatever future endeavors if he didn't have someone like her by his side because that's mm-hmm. what falstaff did and he died yeah. It's it's also so interesting that we figure out the truth through the supposed enemy, mm-hmm. you know? Without her, 
Timothy Chalamet's character would have never known everything that happened. So let's talk about this huge twist that happens in the movie. Uh, This is full spoiler territory. This whole thing has been spoiler territory, but now especially we're talking about the final twist when... Jared Harris. Yes, you know, Jared Harris, you know, we we realize, wow, he was the mastermind behind this entire thing. This guy? Are you serious? And we're just like, wow. Wow, I don't what was your reaction to that that final scene where, you know, there's this epiphany that that Stop reaches the fucking charade! <laughs> this epiphany where he's like, wait, there was no ball, there there was no, you know, assassin, and then he opens up this line of question. And when I say him, Timothy Chalamet opens up the line of question to Jared Harris's character. Um what what were the thoughts going through your head at this moment? I just thought, oh, wow, I get it. He could never have done that with his dad, King Henry IV. King Henry V is new, still party boy got, prince I, a little bit. I apologize. Bit. Sorry. I, oh, I, I, I gave you the wrong name. It's Sean Harris. So oh, sorry Sean Harris. Okay. And yeah, William. I, yeah. I didn't have it. Character didn't William. Have it it's so sorry about that. But yes, Sean Harris. William. Sean Harris. Yeah. Um, that I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, now would be the perfect time when Party Boy Prince is trying to get his feet wet into King Land um, to figure out a way to make your life bigger and better um, without him knowing it, because right now he's distracted by a lot of things. Um, it's sort of like showing a kid, like, hey, look at this shiny thing, and I think uh, Sean Harris's character was fully aware that King Henry would look at the cool shiny thing because he's not really developed enough mm-hmm. to... I, I don't know, see that there may be people behind him that may not have his best interests at heart. Right. He manipulated that entire situation with the the king's lack of experience. Mm-hmm. He's this new prince who has become king. He's like the Simba of the king of this of this Netflix movie, and he's just trying to like navigate this new world and figure out what he wants and how he's going to accomplish this. And the fact that William says peace can only be achieved through huge victories like this is just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to just destroy and pillage and and g- g- have this giant war and then peace will be achieved. And it's just not to tie it to politics every single time, but that's the first thing that came to mind when he said that because every time, you know, the U.S. invades another country, for example, when the U.S. invaded Iraq on grounds of weapons of mass destruction, which we found out later there were no WMDs and we started this entire war, then we go in to save the Iraqi people and to bring peace by toppling a dictator. But it's just mind-blowing to say, oh, because we had this huge victory in Iraq by toppling a dictator, now there can be peace. That's crazy. It's like we started this entire mess and now we're saying there can be peace now and i feel like that's the mentality of it's definitely the men- yeah of an oppressor you know to go into a country you try to get more land you start a war and you're like well now there's peace because you know at, at least like in any war like oh now at least we've converted them all to christians and you know now, there's now, a lot. now it, they it, can learn our religion you know that happens all the time i definitely think and this movie did such a great job of showing how it's been going on for centuries you know for hundreds of years and that's what was just so incredible about this it was really relatable i think that's a problem a lot of a lot of period pieces have when it comes to the language when it comes to the circumstances and this film highlighted a lot of elements that that 
we're in th- this battle. We're in this uh, this this congruence, and I think it, it was so you can totally relate it to en- any part of history, not just like U.S. involvement, but other countries. It's these are war elements that have been going on for all of time, and I I'm just so blown away by how relatable this film can be to those topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how a war built on lies can go so far, because there is a certain point where King Henry says, um, kill them all, in regards to the prisoners that are left over. So he has become uh, a man who's, you know, it's built on lies, but we don't find out till the end, that really it could have gone from King Henry taking the throne to being like, I want peace, let's go talk to your dad over here, and let's figure it out. And I think that his dad would probably have had at least the conversation I realize he may have always had to go through Robert Pattinson's character first (laughs) Um, but I think without the setup of the fake assassination in the ball that his little boyhood wouldn't have been played with as much to make him so angry um, to reach a point where he is just like kill them all right Uh, we could have just fast forwarded and gotten um, I don't know, just gained peace without all of the other stuff. But um, when you fight on a, in, in regards to when you're angry or in regards to when it's built on, like, a bunch of lies, it makes for just a much sadder ending because you're like, we could have avoided a lot and still probably ended up in the same place. The whole movie would have never been made. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And, I mean, we would have lost a cool, great story. But um, I... And maybe King Henry wouldn't have grown into a man as much if he didn't have to fight a war. I, yeah. I wanted to pose a question to y'all, that uh, something Mina was alluding to earlier, <laughs> in that, uh, you know, it, this movie's kind of flying under the radar, and you were reading an article saying it probably won't get nominated for any Oscars. I think that this film is so deserving of a nomination in so many categories, especially technical. Yeah. Uh, do you think it will get any nomination in in any categories, in which ones? I didn't say that people were saying it's not going to get any Oscars. They were saying that for costume design it won't, but people were assuming that, you know, for film score with Nicholas Brattel, you know, composing the film score, oh. that it might get a nomination for that. Maybe production. Um, maybe, production design. Maybe acting, you know, Timothy Chalamet. Um, who knows, like, what else it might win. It's, you know, last year we had Roma, I don't think it's crazy to assume that a Netflix movie can garner Oscar buzz or Oscar interest, and I feel like now we've kind of like moved in this weird tech space where it's considered just as worthy as a theatrical release. But, and, uh, yeah, I mean, now Scorsese's got a Netflix film coming out. Yeah, The Irishman. So it, I think the, the people are now taking them a lot more serious, and like you said, Roma last year. Uh, do, you, do you, which actor do you think has the best chance from this film of getting nominated? I feel like definitely Timothy Chalamet is a favorite. I mean, the Academy loves him. I mean, how many times has he been nominated? And he's been in some great films. Um, I think we, well, we know that he was call nominated once. Call me by your name, but he was also in another film with Steve Carell where he plays a drug addict. Right. The name is slipping me, slipping uh, my memory right now. I don't know if he was nominated, but it definitely received some critical acclaim there. That film flew under the radar last year, uh, but he's been in so many great films. He was was in a bunch of Best Picture nominees, like Lady Bird. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's he's definitely had an amazing career so far and I think he this performance would garner him a nomination and it's funny because I also think 
Robert Pattinson is such a unique performance in this movie. <laughs> I would I, I would love to see him get nominated. He's having a quite an interesting year with the Lighthouse as well, and everyone's keeping a watchful eye on him because he's going to be the next Batman. So, and he's separating himself even more and more from Twilight. So, I think it was great to see that. I I really do think Joel Edgerton could get uh, some consideration for this film. Um, but the biggest thing for me would be hands down the production design. I, I really. It's just so detailed, methodical. You can tell how much time was put into this film and how much research was done, and that that's just not every movie you get. Right. And I think, you know, a few years ago, Outlaw King was a, uh, a film that took place in a similar time period to this movie. It was also a Netflix film, and everyone really kind of forgot about it. Just kind of came and went. Chris Pine, no one really paid attention to it. I think this movie should be a different story. I think this one garners a lot of awards recognition yeah i agree i mean i love joel edgerton a lot in this timothy i mean it's like yeah sure everybody's gonna say that i think that maybe that went my coffee i'm gonna be able to talk just the same without it you guys um that david Mashad and joel edgerton wrote a really great script and i think it's intriguing for people if they don't like period pieces that they'll still be able to understand what's going on and without getting like oh it's too fluffy of a language and i don't like it it's not written that way um it it still does call back to like a little bit of shakespeare but not full force which um i think if they make more period pieces in uh like this and write it this way i think they would get more people on board i do want to also talk a little bit about formatting with this being a made for netflix movie and not having the theatrical release do you think that this hurts it in any sort of way um no, I feel like there are a lot of people out there. We live in L.A. I like to go to the movie theaters. One time, when I was 18 to 19, I went into $3,500 worth of debt going to the movies no, every day in the stop. afternoon at Arclight Cinemas here in Hollywood because I love that theater. It's my second home. Um, the rest of maybe the world would prefer, and me a lot of the times too, prefer to just like, I don't want to spend, every time you go out to the movies, you spend at least like 30 bucks if you're going to get drinks and snacks, because they're pricey. Mm -hmm. So I feel like people living in the in the comfortability of their homes, being able to also watch a really great, like, award-worthy movie, mm -hmm. but also not be like, oh, people were talking about that four months ago, and now it's old news. They can be part of the conversation. So now you're getting millions of people all at the same time being like, kind of like what happened with Stranger Things. I mean, they haven't dropped movies in the same way that people are binge uh, binge watching, you know, um, TV shows. Now it's going to be sort of everyone watching, specifically The Irishman, for sure, the second it drops. Hopefully Netflix doesn't crash. They haven't had a history in that in a few years. But I know that happened one time with Stranger Things, I think, season two. Too many people are watching it. But nonetheless, I think um, it's not a problem. Uh, it's a little weird um, that less movies are going into the theater, but also people are a little bit more comfortable at home, and they can still join, like I said, the conversation, and everyone can be watching it at the same time, which helps, I think, movies in regards to social media and everyone being like, oh, I can join this combo because I've seen that movie because right. it's available to them on their own tv which is great um but yeah i hope people don't stop going to the movie theater because of it i do still hope they have theatrical releases like the irishman is doing um i think it's already out here i'm not sure if not it's going to be in a couple days and then pop up on netflix but i am going to try to go see it in the theater 
I think, yeah, I think a theatrical release is really important for something like this because even though we understand the story and we got a lot of that from watching it on Netflix, I do feel like a lot of the production design and the cinematography is lost, including even the music, because when you're sitting in the comfort of your bed, it's very different from just being like in a movie theater with Dolby sound or with really rich sound where you can hear that musical score like in the way that it's meant to be heard or you can see you know the visuals the way it's meant to be seen I went back and forth between watching it on a laptop and on my phone and even watching it on my phone I'm like I'm not enjoying these like war scenes so then I would switch to my laptop and I'm like I enjoy it more but this would be so much better in a theater and I feel like so much is lost but the only thing that's not lost is the story but I feel like even the performances become better watching it on a big screen versus watching it on your laptop or on your television at home and I think it kind of does an injustice to the movie and to the filmmakers in a weird way I mean yes you have the accessibility that you mentioned which I think is amazing but you lose a lot of the other stuff and I think at the same time you also for me personally I lost a little bit of focus and concentration because you have the luxury of Mm -hmm. pausing it rewinding it and I feel like a movie is meant to be seen in a format where you don't have that luxury so that you stay completely glued to the screen and focused and I think that's very hard when you put something on Netflix and I think it kind of ruins it just a little bit. I think it's very hard to do especially if it's two hours and 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. People are going to be like I don't want to be in a theater that long or I'm going to have to pee and so people really avoid that of like how long is it if it's an hour and a half I can handle it Um, so I agree with you that um I think that things should still be experienced in the theater because it's a way... There are small things that you're completely missing. And even when people watch it, let's say you have a 4K TV that's giant. Um, when you watch a certain movie on a TV, there are a lot of settings that make it very crystal clear and the brilliance and the clarity. And it's not actually supposed to be viewed like that. Yeah. There is an actual article, you can read it, that directors and people have put up that don't let your device go with its original settings. If you want to see the film in the way that it was shot and the way that we want you to see it, change your settings to this. Um, And a lot of people, I don't think, do that. So you are kind of missing out on the way that I think it's supposed to be viewed. But hopefully you fix your TV to be close (laughs) enough and maybe get a little bit of surround sound and uh, I don't know, you might be all right. Just create your own home theater system. 100%. (laughs) Uh, So before we finish off this show, I want to quickly say that In terms of ratings, this received a 71% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 62% on Metacritic. Uh, I want to see if you have any criticism of the movie, uh, anything that you feel could have been enhanced, uh, elevated, and then we'll have a couple closing statements as well. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like maybe they could have started out with... um, I felt this when I was watching the scene between... um, Uh, King Henry and the French king obsessed with balls, which is Pattinson. I felt like just such a tension there uh, that I really loved it. And then also the scene where um, he makes Timothy step back and he goes to to fight a guy on his own, King Henry. I don't know. I was like, oh, why didn't they start in the middle of action? I always love that when shows do that. And I don't know if this movie would have caught people's attention a little bit quicker, maybe have more views. If they... maybe started out just quicker with a a larger thing and then still got to the story after it. Mm-hmm. I think it could have gotten by with two hours. 
Yeah. Um, I I still think it's a really great movie, but I always think in terms of people gaining their attention, and when they look at two hours and 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. like, people have said that to me. They're like, it's two hours, and I'm like, I know how long it is. It's a movie. Yeah. I feel like the extra 20 minutes is which makes, like, it's so crazy that 20 minutes can make that difference. Yes. But I'm like, that extra 20 minutes is like really 20 like if you're gonna do that i would recommend at least doing like three hours or four hours but making it a mini series kind of like game of thrones having it be episodic as opposed to something that you watch in its entirety because i feel like you need the theatrical experience for that um but yeah you do have the the luxury of fast forwarding or winding for for scenes you you don't enjoy but i do think that takes away from the movie um i do want to end with some closing thoughts here before we leave you guys I thought overall it was a great movie. It's not necessarily my cup of tea because I'm not the biggest fan of period pieces unless there's a twist. So unless there's something very comedic about it or it's told in a different way or, for example, Jojo Rabbit being like this super hipster film about World War II but then it's through the eyes of a child, it has to have some sort of, you know, kicker to it or like some sort of gimmick. I don't like to use the word gimmick but something that makes it captivating because I feel like there are so many war movies, so many period pieces that when I watch this movie... I care little about the story, but I care about the performances. So for me, when I was watching it, I was like, I'm just really enjoying watching Timothy Chalamet because these themes of gaining the throne or deceit or treachery, this has been played out in so many different circumstances, so many different movies, so many different contexts. I'm not the biggest fan of the genre, but for the for what it is, I thought they did a great job. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it will stand out in my mind as one of the best period pieces I've seen because there's so many other movies that I can refer to. I agree. And also Apple TV, they are having a twist with Haley Steinfeld. She's in a new Apple TV show based on Emily Dickinson, um, The Poet. I forget the name of it. Um, I watched like part, part of the first episode. That does have a comedic twist to it, so if you're into a period piece but you don't want it to really be a period piece, that's a show for you that just dropped with Haley, Ste- Haley Steinfeld. Apple TV. Yes. And Ryan, any closing thoughts before we leave? Closing thoughts, uh, I'll say this. I'll say that I think this movie totally blew away my expectations. Like I said, I didn't have an interest in seeing it. I'm really glad I did watch it. I wish it had a more theatrical release because I think that would get this movie, garner this movie more attention. Um, I do think it was a little too long. I think you could shave 20 minutes. I didn't have a problem with the last 20 minutes. I had some problems with uh, the first hour. I think they could have made it a little more concise because it really, really picks up speed, hits its stride an hour in. And from there on out, I was locked, completely locked in. So, yeah, I think this movie could have been a little shorter. And other than that, I'm just kind of bummed that not, not that many people are seeing it. So go out and see The King. <laughs> That's that's a great uh, that's a great sponsorship right there. Um, yeah, thank you everyone for joining us here today on Popcorn Talk. We have a blast talking about movies. It's been such a pleasure talking to Tara. This is my first time doing Anatomy of a Movie with you. We're doing it. Where can the great people of the movie verse find you? Yes, you guys. You guys can find me Instagram at Tara Erickson or on YouTube, especially that's T A R A E R I C K S O N and IMDb. And Ryan, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Ryan Nilsen on Twitter, at R-Y-N-I-L-S-E-N. And you all can find me at Mina Makes Magic on Instagram. Uh, And yeah, slide into my DMs, talk about movies. Uh, Just use the DMs for that purpose, please. And we'll be here next week with you guys talking about a brand new movie. So tune in with us.
from producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.